0: Was the last time you were astonished, surprised, shocked? You know, mind-blowing situation. I am. Uh, I am somewhat astonished. Last night, today, that we still do daylight savings. Uh, why are we doing this to ourselves? Uh, it's astonishing that we do this. I was astonished a couple of weeks ago when somebody stole my cell phone uh, from the front pew. Uh, somebody in the back of the auditorium. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, after service, I kind of set it there. I usually set it there, and uh, it, was, it was gone. I, everybody was leaving, and I went to look for it, and I couldn't find it. And I looked to see if a kid stuck it like in the pew holder uh, for the hymnals. I looked in the sound booth. I went to McAllister's to meet my family and got on Find My Phone app and uh, discovered it was in Walmart's parking lot. And so me and Amos ate real quick and went to Walmart and we were kind of wandering around looking for familiar vehicles and out walked Richie and Elena Gray. (laughs) And so we kind of made our way to where they are and Elena and and Blake thought they would surprise me and scare me, I was already scared because my phone was gone. And uh, I was astonished that she would do such a thing. She threw it in her bag and took my phone away from me. Uh, maybe in your history you were astonished oh do you want me to go on I was gonna I was gonna be kind I was gonna be kind I wasn't but I'll share the rest of her testimony she immediately looks at Richie Richie what did you do why did you put (laughs) you put it in all this stuff and Richie's like I didn't take anybody's phone he was calm and then she realized it was me yeah Uh, yeah it was a great confession great confession uh, listen, there's all sorts of circumstances in life that can bring astonishment. Maybe it was the announcement of your, your wife that, hey, I'm expecting, and uh, that was astonishing, or one of your children that I'm getting married. Uh, that may have been astonishing to you at some point. Uh, I was astonished when I moved to Missouri at how bad the driving was in Springfield. Uh, now I'm just one of those drivers. <laughs> I think I'm probably just as bad as everybody else. Uh, recently, I've been astonished at uh, many people that I have greatly respected uh, in ministry, uh, maybe pastors, maybe theologians who are slowly falling away from faith in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's troubled me on many occasions uh, to read those articles, to hear those testimonies. Well, I bring up the idea of astonishment today because we're going to talk about Paul's astonishment toward the churches of Galatia. So if you ever wondered what would astonish the Apostle Paul who had seen so much, who had been through so much, he deals with that today in Galatians chapter 1. Our text from the word of the Lord today is verses 6 through 10. And so if you would follow along as I read that, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask now your gracious blessing as we deal with this most important subject matter this morning. Help me to rightly divide the truth. Help us to be receivers of the truth today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is, why was Paul so astonished with the Galatians? Uh, Before I address that, I wanna point out just how astonished Paul was. What was the level of his astonishment? How many exclamation points should we put behind his astonishment toward these churches? Uh, in, In most of his letters, the Apostle Paul has a particular formula that he follows. Uh, we kind of introduced that last week as we were thinking through. He, he begins with this, this salutation, and he greets them. He says, I'm Paul. I'm writing to you. There's a little bit of a prayer. Uh, actually, just go back, go forward with me to the book of Ephesians. I want you to see it in Ephesians, the normal formula that he follows. Just chapter 1, so just a couple pages over for you in your Bible. Notice verse 1. He begins the same way as he did in, in the letter to the Galatians, he's introducing himself. He's writing to those who are at Ephesus. There's a grace to you prayer. But notice verse 3. He goes into speaking a blessing. And this is, this is unique to Ephesians. But he speaks this blessing all the way down uh, through verse 14. But then notice verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, I do not cease to give thanks I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And that goes on through the end of chapter one, this section of thanksgiving and prayer. So the question we have to ask as we look at the letter to the Galatians, that's not unique to Ephesians. That's in the other letters that he writes. Galatians doesn't have a thanksgiving section. Why not? Where's it at? Paul didn't include it. Paul wanted to get to the point he didn't have time for thanksgiving. He bypasses it and goes straight for, I'm astonished. I'm astonished. He's like a fighter who, who's coming out of the corner and he is ready to just pounce. He's like a, a toddler who sees a piece of candy on the ground. It's in his mouth before you know it. He moves so quickly into his point. But what is enraged and astonished Paul to the point that he doesn't even muster a word of thanksgiving. They're deserting Jesus. In the opening sentence, Paul accuses them of deserting Jesus and turning to another gospel. Now, the truth that we need to see in Paul's line there is this, that we never desert Jesus for nothing, and we never turn to Jesus from nothing. We are always worshiping. We are always serving someone or something, and they are leaving Jesus for something else And we need to consider what those things are this morning. Let's consider first their desertion of Jesus. As I mentioned last week, as we were thinking through the history, it was sometime earlier in Paul's first missionary journey that him and Barnabas showed up in the Galatia region. They were preaching Jesus to the people. And we learn this from Acts chapter 14, verse 1. I just want to read this, this line. He says, "...a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed." That's that's the churches in Galatia. They came and a great number believed. But what did they believe? What was the message that Paul and Barnabas came to town preaching? Well, I'm going to give you a, a good summary by Mark Dever from his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. This is, in a nutshell, the message that Paul and Barnabas would have preached. See, the good news is that the one and only God who is holy... Has made us in his image to know him. But we sinned, we cut ourselves off from him, and in his great love, God became a man in Jesus and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever trust. He rose again from the dead showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted and he now calls us to repent of our sins, to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness and if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we're born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. That's it, that is the message that Paul and Barnabas preached to these churches. It's the message of Jesus crucified and resurrected. It's the good news that they came delivering. No doubt Paul and Barnabas were using many Old Testament texts to help them make connection to the Messiah that was Jesus. And the outcome of their preaching, as Luke states in Acts 14, is a great number of them believed in these churches in Galatia. But let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. Let's think through what Paul says because he provides another perspective as to what's happening in their time in Galatia when he writes this. He says, "You are so quickly deserting him who called you, him who called you in the grace of Christ." It's not as simple as they just believed. They were called they were, they were specifically chosen and elected to believe. But by whom? Who does he say? According to Paul, it was him who called them. It's, it's God, it's Jesus who called these Galatians. To help us understand this, this is the text I always go to. So we're going to go here again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this word called and why it's so important that we understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I'll give you a moment to get Paul writes this to the Corinthians, for consider your calling, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And not many of you were powerful. And not many were of noble birth. But God chose, he called what was foolish in the world so that he might shame the wise and he chose what is weak in the world so that he might shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why did he do this? Notice verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Tori said it so well up here. We bring nothing. We bring nothing. That's all we bring. We bring nothing to this. We bring sin. That's it. We need redeemed from that. But we have nothing to offer. You see, the point that they're calling, the Galatians, and our calling as we sit here today, the point that that makes is this. Grace. Grace. That's the connecting word. Salvation is of God's grace from start to finish. Grace means that it's unearned. Nothing you can do to earn this. It means that it is undeserved. It is unmerited favor that God shows to us. You cannot work for your calling. You uh, cannot earn your salvation. You are given the gift of Jesus. You're called into this family. And like Paul says to the Corinthians, That excludes boasting. What do you have to boast in other than Jesus Christ? And so Paul says, maybe even he screams, I don't know, I can see him like putting a pillow over his face and screaming, how how can you turn your back on this grace? How can you abandon the gift of Jesus that's been given to you? How is it you're leaving this behind? And for what? What are they turning to? Did they find something better than Jesus? Something better than this gracious call on their life? Notice the final phrase of verse six. They're turning to a different gospel. Can you see why Paul's head and heart are exploding right now? I mean, he's losing his mind So so now let's consider this different gospel that they are deserting Jesus and the grace of God for. Uh, But we have to introduce this new word because the, the word is gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that we have this gospel? Gospel very simply means good news. There is good news to share. It is the news of Jesus. And as long as the gospel is what we defined earlier, what we find detailed throughout the New Testament, it is good news. But when you start taking things out of it, and when you start putting things into it, it's not so good anymore. It becomes distorted and that's Paul's point. There were people in Galatia who were taking things out of the gospel message and adding things into the gospel message and Paul is astonished that these these newest converts to Christianity are so quickly following after these false teachers. Shortly after, God delivered Israel from Egypt. They found themselves at Mount Sinai. And there Moses went up and he was receiving the the commandments of God. And you remember what was happening at the base of the mountain? They were gathering all their gold jewelry and they were putting them in the fire and they were crafting a a golden calf. Something that they they could worship. Something they could see. And they had so quickly forgotten that it was just a few weeks earlier probably that that Yahweh had delivered them from thousands of golden calves and every other false god that Egypt had. And now they're at this mountain and the the top of the mountain has swirling clouds and lightning and thunder and, and they're seeing this. And they're putting together a golden calf so that they might better worship and remember what Moses does when he gets down? He's, he's astonished, isn't he? And he throws, he throws the tablets. I don't know if he, if he did that because he was just anger, if he did that because it would be this great picture of the fact that they've already broken it. Probably both. But he's astonished, and that's what Paul is feeling. Paul's, how quickly you have changed, how quickly things have escalated. is a gut punch to Paul who had invested so much in them and Barnabas, but bigger than Paul and Barnabas, to Jesus and his glory. But Paul will not retreat to the corner. Paul comes out ready to fight. He will fight back against the false teaching, he will fight back against the false doctrine, but he needs to clarify a few things. Notice what he says there, he says, there really is no other gospel, that's in quotes. It's not that there is another gospel, but rather there are those who are working to distort the gospel. They're adding their ingredients in, they're taking some things out, and manipulating the gospel of Christ. It's not that somebody else came up with a, a better version or another version of good news. There is no other version of good news. Either Jesus saves completely or he doesn't. That's the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that he is addressing how some are distorting and radically altering this good news of Jesus Christ. And that's when his words turn to words of judgment. Notice verse eight. He uses this hyperbolic language and he says, even if if we came back to you or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preached to you weeks ago, years ago, let him be accursed. So if the apostle Paul rose from the dead and came back into this auditorium today and somehow we knew it was Paul. Or if while I'm standing here right now an angel descends through the ceiling and comes and appears next to me. And if they preach anything that's contrary to the gospel message that we find in the New Testament. Paul says, you run me out of the room and you run the angel out of the room. Because there is no other Gospel message. The point is, this message does not change because this message was written before the foundation of the world was laid, and this message will stand until the end of everything. And we will worship singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for all eternity. The message doesn't change. That's why Mormonism is not Christianity. Because Mormonism is. They literally claim that another messenger came to Joseph Smith with additions. Literally, that's what they say. Additions to what what Jesus said to what Paul preaches in the New Testament. And what does Paul say to that? Very clearly, if it's a different gospel, let them be accursed. Accursed is the Greek word anathema, which is used, Modern day language to describe judgment. Condemnation, we speak of that, we'll speak the anathema that's coming. Its roots go back to this Hebrew word, some of you won't remember this, some of you won't care about this, but when we, we learned a, a couple of Hebrew words, Kherim was one of them. Cherim means that everything is devoted to God and his judgment, and Jericho was harem. it was devoted to his judgment, that's the idea. That's what he's getting at when he uses the word anathema and just in case Paul wasn't clear enough as he often does he repeats himself and he says as we've said before I say now again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed. So evidently this had been a matter of discussion at some point. It was something he had dealt with while he was with them but they just weren't getting it and And we can't be too harsh because still thousands of years later, we're not getting it either. We fail to understand what the gospel is. That's why this study is so important for us to really get what is the good news of Christ so that that you'll be able to spot a counterfeit, so that you'll be able to spot and say, that's not gospel. That's not Jesus crucified and resurrected. That's not the good news. So when you pick up books by authors like Joel Osteen, you'll know there's something missing here. There's something off here. Yeah, there's some good things that are being said and there's some maybe helpful things that are being said, but, but there's something at the core that's not there. It's the gospel. Even just this morning, I was looking through Facebook. I usually don't like to do that on Sunday mornings, but God used it this morning and I came across a book that's been very popular for, for a couple of years now. Uh, it's a book written to ladies. It's called Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And some of you have probably read it. You may have been it, it challenged by it. Somebody recommended it to you. You've seen some of the things about it. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna read to you a couple things from the book. I just took some screenshots. So here's a summation of what's taught in the book. Hollis is a professing Christian. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You and only you are ultimately responsible for that. That's not gospel. Tim Challies writes this in relation to thinking through books. He's a book reviewer, Christian author. He says, it's it's long been my observation that there are two kinds of books being marketed to Christians. There are some whose foundational message is what you need to do, and others whose foundational message is what Christ has already done. The first, makes a model out of the author. The second makes a model out of Jesus. The first placed the burden for change on personal power, while the second placed the burden for change on Christ's power. His observation is that this book, Wash Your Face, falls squarely into the first category. This is my last quote in relation to this. Hollis writes this, Good news. She uses those words. Good news. Gospel. Tomorrow is a new day. What does the Bible say? Good news. Christ can make you a new person. We have to be careful what we're allowing to influence us. Where we're finding our good news at. What really is good news? It's this. I have no power in myself. There's nothing in my hands that I can bring. It's only to the cross that I can cling. And and so much that we find in our culture and in our world and in Christianity displaces the good news of Jesus and says, you can do this. You can do it in your own power. You can do it in your own wisdom. You can do it in your own strength. And we've gotta be able to spot that and say, no, Galatians is gonna help us to understand that. It's gonna help us to get to the point where we see, no, that's, that's not gospel. That's not true. That's not what we find in the scriptures. Verse 10 acts as a bridge between Paul's opening reproof and his testimony that follows. Notice, notice this verse with me one more time. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There are some verses of scripture that, that you read and some that I read that when I see them they take me back to certain struggles in my life, certain situations. This is a verse that takes me back to two particular locations, actually geographic locations I could go to now, when I remember reading this verse and receiving this verse. It was during a season of my life where I was really struggling to learn to read scripture for myself, understand the grace of God as opposed to what others were saying and their opinions. What Paul intends with these rhetorical questions is to address some accusations. Some in the Galatian church were saying this, and and this almost sounds funny to me, and it'll probably sound funny to you. They were concluding, Paul, you're just being a people pleaser. I I find nothing pleasing about most of what Paul says. I find it quite, quite convicting. But they were accusing him of being a people pleaser because he was telling them, you don't need to be circumcised. And in this particular sect, in this particular group, there were some of these false teachers who were saying, yes, Jesus is good, but you also need to fulfill the law and be circumcised. Paul said, no, that's not gospel. You're adding to, you're you're distorting. And they were saying, well, Paul, you're just trying to please people. And Paul's argument back is, if I were trying to please people, why would I have ever started following Jesus? because the whole system, I was a Pharisee. My whole life was about pleasing people. It was never about pleasing God, it was about pleasing me and pleasing all the people around me, why would I have ever become a servant of Jesus Christ? And it acts as a bridge because he moves into verse 11 and goes into this next section where he begins to to teach about his own testimony. We're not gonna cover those things today, we'll cover that next week. Before we consider some, some closing implications, I, I wanna assure you that what Paul summarizes here, this is just the opening. He's just giving us a little, a little taste. He's like one of those people in Sam's that gives you the sample and then you're supposed to buy the $15 watt of whatever they're trying to get you to buy. He's just giving us a taste of what he's gonna deal with in the letter. And so hang in there, study. It will become clear in time to you. But let's talk implication. First, There's no room for compromise on the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. We find from other letters that Paul's willing to compromise on issues about what day of the week you worship. If you want to eat meat offered to idols or not. He's willing to bend on those things and he's willing to leave many of those things up to Christian liberty. But what is crystal clear from Galatians and every other letter that he writes is don't you dare in any way try to distort the message of Jesus crucified and resurrected. For Paul, as well as us, them fighting words, we go to the mat for the gospel of Christ. We have to make sure, Meadowview, that we take great care of the gospel that's been entrusted to us. Those are the words that Paul uses in the New Testament, that it's been entrusted to us. We can get end times wrong. uh, We can get spiritual gifts wrong. We can get church polity wrong. But we cannot distort this most beautiful, powerful, central message of our Savior come. Christ alone, grace alone, through faith alone, saves. It's been entrusted to us. Circumcision, baptism, membership, lists of rules that we can come up with to say this is what holiness looks like. None of those are the gospel. Many of them are meant to point to the gospel. Many of them are uh, implications that come from the gospel, but none of them are the gospel. You'll hear more of my story as we progress through our study in Galatians, but I grew up in a church where Uh, the lists of rules were spoken about far more than the actual gospel message. I heard far, far more about how I'm supposed to behave and how I'm supposed to live than about the Savior who loved me and offers me new life. And you know what? I came out of that really confused. I came out of that really frustrated. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for your kids. I want all of us to know this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is Jesus Christ crucified. So we've gotta make sure that we get the gospel right, we keep it central to who we are as a church. I hope you're good with that. That's the stance we've taken, that's the stance we'll continue to take. We're here because of Jesus. You all have different backgrounds. You all have different preferences. We're different ages, we're different sexes. But what is it that, that gives us the common bond in this room? It's Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. There's no room for compromise in that message. Second, the main reason it's important to keep the gospel pure is because Jesus' work on the cross, the empty tomb, our understanding of grace and mercy are called into question if we begin to distort the gospel message. If we begin to boast about any particular part of our salvation, if we begin to think that we have somehow contributed We diminish the glory that belongs to Jesus alone because as it says in Philippians that he is the one that was given a name above every name and it's at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's what's at stake. If we get the gospel wrong, we diminish the glory of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Still another reason that we protect the gospel, is if we fail to preach Jesus crucified and raised again. Paul is very clear that it leads our listeners to death. That's why I don't mind speaking out against certain authors and certain books because they're not leading people to Jesus and they're not leading people to life and they're not leading people to hope. They're leading people to themselves as a savior. And there's no salvation in you. And there's no salvation in me. It's only found in Christ and Christ alone. And we're leading people to anathema if we don't take them to the Savior. And so we must be very careful. I think a church is all across our globe today where teachers are standing in front of their people and they're saying you're good enough. Most of you have been around here long enough that you know I've never said that. <laughs> You are not good enough. And that's exactly why you're here. Christ is the only one who's good enough. Christ is the only one that makes us good. Some are teaching that you only need to be baptized. Or they're just simply leaving the message, God loves you and that's it. As if that's enough. It's great to know God loves us, but unless we we understand how he loves us. And unless we understand how he's displayed that love to us on a cross, an empty tomb, then that's an empty statement. It's a worthless statement. Many of those churches will never get to Jesus crucified and they're only leading their listeners to anathema, condemnation, and death. I really like this quote. It's out of the Living the Cross-Centered Life book. Some of you are reading that along with me right now. It's, it's by John Piper. He says this, Paul was utterly mastered and held captive by one great scene in all of history. It was a cross on Golgotha and on it the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That was Paul's life. That was Paul's passion. We need the same passion. We must be mastered and held captive by the cross of Christ. By the one who knew no sin, yet became sin. So that we, full of sin, might know the righteousness of God that we find in Him and in Him alone. Now that is good news. Would you bow with me this morning? Before we pray, I want to make sure that I am abundantly clear this morning on this one point. You can try to be as good as you can be You can help as many old ladies across the street. You can give as much money as you want to churches and to organizations. You can try to be the best husband and wife, the best parent. And it says in Isaiah this, it says your righteousnesses, plural, all of them are still like filthy rags. We can never be good enough because a holy God demands perfection. And when we try to be good enough and when we try to earn our salvation, we spit at the cross of Christ because the whole reason there's a cross and our savior on it is he's there doing what you could never do. He lived the life of perfection that you could not live and he is dying on the cross, taking your sins upon himself. And we're called to believe. We're called to just simply acknowledge and say, yep, I'm not good enough. I need a savior. Jesus is the savior that I need. That's good news. I hope that's news that you've embraced and believed and accepted. I hope that's what has drawn you here today and I hope that's what compelled you to sing the songs and and give offerings and offer fellowship and serve and love and do all of those things that we know we're called to do because of what Jesus has already done. If that doesn't describe you, if you're here today and you're still trying to be good enough. And you still think that, man, if I just go to church, then God, God might just be pleased with me. He might just give me a blessing, something that I've been, I've been praying for. And if I go and if I give some money, maybe he'll give me those things. God is never impressed with us. He's only impressed with Christ. There's no room for boasting. But if that describes you today, I, I encourage you as Paul encourages the Galatians and all of the New Testament, turn from yourself and turn to Christ today. Repent. Repent means turn away from what you're trying to do And turn to the only one who has ever done it. Turn to Jesus. There's forgiveness, there's hope, there's joy. And if you need to talk to somebody today, uh, you've got questions, come see us. Grab somebody you know, come see me after the service. We want to make sure we're addressing those truths, your questions. I wanna give you all a moment to pray. And for the believers who are in the room today, maybe here's a prayer you can pray. God, help me to know the gospel of Jesus Christ so well. Help me to be so passionate about it that when I see any deviation, any, any kernel of distortion, I immediately recognize that's not gospel. That's not good. That's not Jesus. Maybe that's the prayer you pray today as a follower. But I'm going to give you a moment to pray before I close this. (laughs) Father, we thank you that we have good news. (laughs) Because God, you know that I've tried to be righteous. I've tried to pray the right prayers. I've exhausted myself in fear and anxiety. trying to please you, trying to secure a home in heaven. And those were the most terrifying years of my life. But I'm thankful for those who pointed me clearly to the cross and the empty tomb and assured me that it's Jesus and Jesus alone and oh, the freedom, the freedom that brings. The fear is gone. The exhaustion is gone. There's just grace and mercy. And I want that desperately for all of us to know the joy of trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Help us to do battle against legalism that will consistently rear its ugly head and those lies that will try to convince us that it's somehow up to us, that the weight is somehow on our shoulders. Help us to immediately repent of those lies and turn to Jesus. I'm thankful for this book. I'm thankful that you preserved for us Galatians. Some of the truths are not easy to hear. Some of them are difficult to understand, but I pray that your spirit would help us to, to not only understand and not only hear, but do and live in obedience to these things. And so, so, God, we thank you for today. And I do pray for those who may be here today and there's, there's questions and, and they are they're confronted and there's conflict, maybe in their their hearts, some of the things we've talked about, I pray that you would make clear the truth to them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.